Shalom, and welcome to a journey of enlightenment, inspiration, and connection. You are listening to the Bear Sheva Podcast, a beacon of light to the World Noahide community. I'm your host, Tani Burton, and I'm delighted to be your guide on this journey, broadcasting from the heart of the world, Jerusalem, the eternal city. Together, we'll dive deep into the wellsprings of Torah, unearthing timeless truths that resonate to the core of our existence. So get ready to enrich your life, expand your horizons, and embrace the boundless possibilities that lie within the vast expanse of Torah wisdom. This is the Bear Sheva Podcast. Today, we're going to continue our exploration of the 13 principles of faith as articulated by the Rambam. Now, the title of this podcast is God is Eternal, and we're going to be speaking about the Rambam's fourth principle of faith. And don't forget to check out the other podcasts in this series if you need to catch up. Okay, so naturally you might think that the Rambam would have just come out and used the word nitzchi, which means eternal in Hebrew, but he doesn't. The Rambam uses an interesting expression when it comes to describing God in this way. And that expression is kadmut. This word does not mean eternal. It means pre-existing. It means that nothing could have existed before God. The proof text that the Rambam brings for this concept comes from an interesting passage in Deuteronomy 33, verses 26 and 27. So the verses state, There is no God, O Yeshurun. Yeshurun is a nickname for the Jewish people. There is no God, O Yeshurun, who rides through the heavens to help you, through the skies, in his majesty. Now, the next verse can be read in two different ways. Either as the eternal God is a refuge, or, or the skies that were mentioned in the previous verse are a refuge for the eternal God. If we understand the verse to mean that the eternal God is a refuge, it implies that the entire creation exists within him. So he preceded it. If we understand it to mean the heavens are the dwelling place of the eternal God, then the heavens don't refer to the blue sky over planet Earth, but to the spiritual realm beyond the world. So we have the implication of a being that is unaffected by whatever goes on within the created universe. And the commentary, Dat Zikanim, it's a commentary on the Torah, says this outright, the heavens, meaning the realm beyond the created world, are God's place. Of course, don't take that literally. God does not occupy physical space. 
He is not bound by physical space. But it's his place because he precedes everything. That's the connection that that Zikainim makes. By the way, the original language of that verse, when we say the refuge, that God is a refuge, or the heavens are the refuge of God, is meone elokei kedem. It's a refuge for the God that is kedem, which really means pre-existing, the pre-existing God. So it might be translated as the eternal God, but even in the verse, he's described as pre-existing. Does this necessarily imply that he is eternal if he's pre-existing? Is there a difference between the two ideas, between the two concepts? Let's think about this. So the answer is yes. In fact, the distinction between something being a first cause and being eternal lies in the nature of their existence and their relationship to time itself. When we say that something is a first cause, we are referring to its role in initiating or causing a series of events or actions. It's the starting point, the origin, or the primary factor that sets everything else in motion. In the context of philosophical or theological discussions, the concept of a first cause often relates to the question of the ultimate source or explanation of the universe and its existence. You know that it's not just Torah scholars who have wondered about this. On the other hand, when we say that something is eternal, we're referring to its quality of existing without a beginning or an end. It transcends the limitations of time and remains in a state of timeless existence. The concept of eternity implies a timeless or infinite nature where the entity or concept in question has always existed and will continue to exist indefinitely. Now, while these two concepts are related, they're not necessarily the same. It is possible for something to be a first cause without being eternal. For example, in some philosophical arguments for the existence of God, God is considered the first cause that initiates the chain of events leading to the creation of the universe. That's what we have so far. However, it's not necessarily asserted that God is eternal in the sense of having always existed without a beginning, which of course is something that we believe. Well, conversely, something could be eternal without necessarily being a first cause. For instance, in certain cosmological models, not the ones we'll talk about today, the universe itself is considered to be eternal, existing without a beginning or an end. However, it may not be regarded as a first cause because it's seen as part of an ongoing cycle of cosmic expansion and contraction. Now, when we think of the first cause argument and where that comes from, in the Mishnah Torah, which is Rambam's magnum opus, it's hard to say that in the sense that there, he was so prolific and was the author of so much. But over there, the Rambam goes into much more detail about these faith precepts. The very first halakha in the Mishnah Torah states that 
one must believe that all existence has a pre-existing being. And this sounds similar to the first cause argument, which is a way of presenting the pre-existence of a creator. That argument dates back at least to the 4th century BCE, before the Common Era, to the writings of both Plato and Aristotle. There are very important distinctions between how Plato and Aristotle each conceived of a first cause, however. Plato stated that all of the movement in the universe, the stars and celestial bodies, was imparted motion. Something had to have initiated it. And Plato attributed the imparted motion to the manifestation of a supernal wisdom that set the universe in motion. But this creator had to exist beyond the boundaries of the physical universe. Plato's explanation was a transcendent and metaphysical explanation of the first cause. The creator was directly involved in creation. But Aristotle had a different way of looking at things. It made sense that there was a prime mover, as he called it, meaning some force or being that caused all of the movement in the universe. But he did not necessarily limit the idea initially to a single prime mover. There could be more than one, as far as he was concerned. Each one tasked with moving one of the many celestial spheres, which is an old concept in astronomy. Eventually, though, Aristotle also came to an understanding that there must be a deity who started the whole process, but he did not conceive of this being as being directly connected to the creation as a voluntary act or desire. You see, as a good Greek philosopher, you know, he was really into contemplation, like everybody else. So his assumption was that the Creator was a completely perfect being that was entirely involved in contemplation of its own being. Didn't really have much of an interest in what goes on here. So in his model, there's a very indirect relationship between the Creator and creation. His was a cosmology of immanence and teleology, meaning that the first cause is just part of the system itself. Now, I want to make very clear that I do not mean, through my brief mentions of the Platonic and Aristotelian cosmologies, to attribute any religious value to them, or, God forbid, to place them on an equal plane with the Rambam's description of God's pre-existence which may borrow some of their earlier terminology, but is based solidly on Torah and comes to completely different conclusions than they did. What does the Rambam teach us? To enter into his paradigm, we have to first note that there is a distinction between Aristotle's prime mover and the Torah's concept of God as the first being as presented by Rambam. In Aristotle's philosophy, the prime mover is not interventionist. He does not intervene in, in, in the world. It's an unmoved and contemplative entity that serves as the ultimate cause and goal of all motion and change in the universe. The prime mover does not actively engage with the created world or directly intervene in its affairs. On the other hand, the Rambam's concept of God as the first being, which is the Torah's view, includes the idea of an interventionist God. The Torah's view is that God is actively involved in the world and exercises providence over it. God not only creates and sustains the universe, but also intervenes in human affairs and responds to their actions. Ramam's conception of God includes attributes such as omniscience, omnipotence, providence, all of which involve God's active involvement. 
So while Aristotle's prime mover is non-interventionist, serving as the ultimate cause and goal without any direct involvement, the Torah's view, Rambam's articulated view, his idea of God is as the first being, as an interventionist God who actively interacts with and intervenes in the created world. So we'll explore the concept of providence or hashgacha in an upcoming podcast episode. But for now, let's accept the idea that not only is God the first being, he is also the one who created the universe and continually and directly guides the natural world and the affairs of human beings. Both Plato and Aristotle believed that the universe had a finite beginning, but would continue indefinitely. The implication of such an idea is that if a creator brought such a world into being, it was necessary that he do so in the exact way that he did. Their premise was that creation was not a voluntary creative act of desire on the part of the creator. Rather, he simply was the one who pressed the start button, as it were. And bear in mind that when I say, quote, Rambam would say, we have to assume that he did not come to his conclusions based on philosophical contemplation alone, but through his mastery of the entire corpus of the Torah. He is our representative of the Torah's perspective. Plato and Aristotle do not represent a Torah perspective. The Rambam teaches us that the world, created as it was, is not something that God had to create. In this way, it's not necessary, it's contingent, it's a possible world. It's a possible world that has been created as a voluntary act of the divine will, which means that what we see and experience is but one of an infinite number of possible worlds. Yet, God chose this way. Of course, naturally, we might ask the question, why did he choose to create the world this way? When you look at the world, and you look at all the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that happen within this world, that's a question that has to come to mind. But to this, the Gemara in Chagiga says, which means, do not ask about that which is too wondrous for you. Why not? You know, aren't we people of intellect? Can't we probe into the deep secrets of the universe? So this isn't really a referendum on us. What, what the Gemara is telling us with regard to questions that cannot be answered is that the choice made by God, who is infinite, he's an infinite being, choices that he made prior to creation are not something that a finite human being can comprehend. We can only make observations from the world that has already been created. Now here's another very important distinction between the Greek philosophers and Rambam. Both Plato and Aristotle believed that the initial starting point of the universe involved a transformation of matter that was already there. We can call that creating the world as something from something. The Torah's perspective on this is diametrically different. Our Torah teaches 
that God created the world yesh mi'ayin, or ex nihilo, or something from nothing. During Rambam's time, there was no way of proving scientifically whether the universe was an eternally existing item or not. We know that the first three words in the Torah are Breshit bara Elohim, which means, in the beginning, God created. So, Rambam would have taken it on faith that the universe was not infinitely old. Not from philosophical reasoning, but from what the Torah itself says. But what did God create the world from? And has there ever been proof for the Torah concept of the universe's being created something from nothing? Let's talk about the Big Bang Theory. Supported by scientific evidence, such as the discovery of cosmic microwave background radiation by Arno Penzias and Robert Wilson at Bell Labs in 1965. This theory aligns intriguingly with the Torah's concept of creation ex nihilo. According to the Big Bang Theory, which was originally proposed by Lemaitre in the 1920s, the universe originated from a singularity, an infinitely dense and hot state approximately 13.8 billion years ago. We can always take issue with dates. But let's just consider the theory for a second. This initial singularity can be seen as a moment of creation from nothingness, resembling the Torah's assertion that God brought the universe into existence from absolute nothingness. Penzias and Wilson's accidental discovery of the cosmic microwave background radiation provided a significant breakthrough. Let's understand, microwave radiation is on the red end of the spectrum, and it indicates that objects are moving away from each other. When objects move towards each other, then the wavelength becomes much shorter, or I should say the frequency of the wavelength becomes much shorter, and goes towards the blue end of the spectrum. But when they're on the red end of the spectrum, it means that objects are moving away from each other. Penzias and Wilson detected faint uniform radiation emanating from all directions, which turned out to be residual energy from the early stages of the universe. This discovery lends support to the Big Bang Theory and its idea of a finite beginning, which in turn echoes the Torah's concept of creation ex nihilo. While the Big Bang Theory primarily focuses on the scientific aspects of the universe's origins, doesn't explicitly address the role of a divine being, its findings align with the theological notion of God as the ultimate creator. The theory's description of an initial singularity resonates somewhat, at least, with the Torah's belief in God's act of bringing the universe into existence from nothing. By bridging scientific and theological perspectives, the Big Bang Theory and the discovery of cosmic microwave background radiation offer very compelling parallels to the concept of creation ex nihilo, inviting us to contemplate the profound nature of the universe's origins as understood through both scientific exploration 
and religious teachings. The Torah actually says, in the beginning, God created. Today, scientists also say, in the beginning, they just can't bring themselves to say, God. Now, let's think about this idea that God is not only pre-existent, but eternal. Okay, we accept that God is the first being, the first cause. From Ramam's commentary on the Mishnah, however, there's only an assertion that he is pre-existent. Yet we know that God's eternality has to be a fundamental Jewish belief. Let's take, for example, the prayer that's found in the beginning of every Jewish prayer book or siddur, which is known as Adon Olam, which means master of the world. We can understand its importance from the fact that it's said at the beginning of Shacharit, the morning prayer. It's how a Jewish person starts his or her day. And Adon Olam contains a phrase describing God as Bli Reshit, Bli Tachlit, which means without beginning and without end. Eternality. In his Mishnah Torah, the Rambam explains that God does not exist within the parameters of time. And this is key. He does not have a beginning or end. He's eternal and unchanging. Death and life do not apply to him. The commentary on this halacha states that logically, it must be this way. Because if God it did exist within the boundaries of time, that would mean that time precedes him. God forbid to say. Why would that be the case? Modern day physicists consider time to be a physical dimension. For example, in the framework of Einstein's theory of general relativity, space-time is a four-dimensional continuum that combines the three spatial dimensions of length, width, and height with time as the fourth dimension. This concept is often referred to as the fabric of space-time. According to general relativity, gravity is not a force acting at a distance, but rather the curvature of space-time caused by the presence of mass and energy. Objects with mass or energy cause a distortion in the fabric of space-time, and other objects moving in this curved space-time experience the effects of gravity. In this framework, time is not considered separate from space, but rather interconnected as part of the fabric of space-time. This view treats time as a dimension on an equal footing with the spatial dimensions. And events are described by their coordinates in four-dimensional space-time. It's important to note that in certain areas of physics, such as quantum mechanics and the study of fundamental particles, the nature of time can be approached differently or require further investigation. However, within the context of general relativity, and the current understanding of space-time, time is indeed considered a physical dimension. What does that mean? It means that time itself is part of the creation. Therefore, God must proceed and exist beyond the boundaries of time. The very name of God, the four-letter name, which is known as the Tetragrammaton. I always love the word Tetragrammaton because it sounds like there's four grandmothers. But the four-letter name of God 
which we do not pronounce, is translated as was, is, and will be. The verb to be, interesting, is never used in the present tense in Hebrew. Because if it was, it would spell out God's name, which is something that we dare not utter. But what we see from here is that his very name communicates that he is the very essence of existence. In conclusion, this podcast episode, which is titled God is Eternal, explores the Rambam's fourth principle of faith and delves into the concept of God's pre-existence. While the Rambam used the term kadmut, pre-existence, to describe God, he emphasized that God's existence is not bound by time and is beyond the limitations of the physical universe. That's something that distinguishes Rambam's articulation of the Torah's view from all philosophers. Again, Rambam always stresses the limitations of our ability to perceive God. We're not looking at something as if we're looking at it through a telescope. We also discussed the distinction between the first cause and the concept of eternity, highlighting that something can be a first cause without being eternal, and vice versa. We also explored the differences between Plato and Aristotle's view on the first cause, Rambam's perspective on God as the first being. We also touched on the idea of creation ex nihilo and its alignment with the Big Bang Theory, which suggests a finite beginning of the universe. Additionally, we emphasize God's eternity and the understanding that God exists beyond the boundaries of time. And this is actually supported by modern physics view of time as a physical dimension. We know that God is completely beyond physical reality. And finally, we concluded by emphasizing the eternal nature of God and his fundamental role as the essence of existence. Thank you for joining us on the Bear Sheva podcast. The podcast is proudly presented to you by Sukkot Shalom Beni Noach. As a global Noahide community, Sukkot Shalom is deeply rooted in the timeless values of Torah. We're dedicated to nurturing growth, fostering unity, and spreading the light of Torah to every corner of the world. For more enriching content and to be a part of our vibrant community, visit our website at www.sukkatshalom-benenoach.com. Remember to follow or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and leave us a comment with the topics you'd love to explore in future episodes. See you next time.